If you haven't already, would you open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. You've got a pew Bible in front of you if you'd like. You may have one on your phone or your tablet. If so, go to the Version Bible app. Version Bible app, and you can follow along with the sermon there, too, on the live events tab and see all the notes already built in there. Acts chapter 15, we continue our series, The Spirit, the Church, and the World, and we take up the subject of grace today. Though grace has been throughout these sermons, you'll see it's specific to this sermon in this passage of Scripture that we study today. I don't know about you, when I hear the word grace, the first thing that comes to my mind, just based on my experience, is a sweet little girl named Grace. And she's got that name Grace after her grandmother or her great-grandmother, and she's a picture of Grace. But maybe it is that you think of that grandmotherly type person, someone you knew named Grace, and you expect that that name is a reflection of that character. And character, however, is much more than a name. It's that quality of grace. Now, our world often uses the word grace these days to refer to um, a manner by which something is done, Uh, something like In her lovely white wedding dress, the bride made her way down the aisle, a picture of grace. You know, in that wedding march kind of thing. Oh, wait, I'm doing that wrong. You kind of go like this, then you go like that, then you're like that. It's just awkward, right? Don't don't walk too fast is what we tell our brides. Or maybe it's that idea of full of kindness for all. He treated others with such grace. We can even say that of guys. Dictionary.com defines grace this way. It says an elegance of beauty or form, manner, motion, or action, like the bride walking down the aisle. Our second definition, it says a pleasing or attractive quality or endowment, the way that you act towards somebody, the way that you come across. But as Christ followers, our understanding of grace goes deeper than that. It's favor, goodwill, the third definition of on dictionary.com. And the fourth one there, a manifestation of favor especially by a superior. Now we're getting to what biblical grace is. Now we're getting to what God's grace is. It's what we cannot earn, what we do not deserve. It's a gift. It's unmerited favor. The Bible says of God's grace in Exodus 34, it says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins. In Romans eleven sixteen, Paul writes it this way, And since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works, for in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is free and undeserved. God's grace, free and undeserved. Hebrews 4.16 says this. He says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in our time of need. God's throne is called a throne of grace because of him who inhabits that throne. Paul says again in Romans chapter 5, he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. In our passage of scripture today, Paul says in Acts 15, 11, we believe that we are all saved the same way by the undeserved grace of our Lord Jesus. 
So if grace is what this is all about, and grace is free, and grace is unmerited, and grace is a gift to us, why is there a debate about grace? Well, we're going to see that here in just a moment. We'll move ahead to our scripture memory verse for the month, and our scripture memory verse of the month is from our sermon series that starts next week, Bitter Root. And in Bitter Root, we're going to talk about first next week, where does bitterness come from? We're going to talk about what is biblical forgiveness? How do I get forgiveness? And where does freedom from forgiveness come from? But let's say this scripture memory verse before, and we've used one of these before, but these are verses we need to memorize. Let's say Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Thank you. Now we need to turn our attention to our key text today. If you're able to stand with me in the honor of reading God's word, would you do so as we read Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 21. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Hmm. Verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some of the other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria. They told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. Verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Verse 12, the whole assembly became silent and as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders that God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and that all the Gentiles who bear my name says the Lord who does these things that have been known For ages. Verse 19. 
It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult to the, uh, for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Thank you all. You may be seated. May God add to the reading of his word. You consider our background a bit here. What has been happening? Going back chapters in Acts, but going back actually years in chronology and time from the conversion of Cornelius, the first Gentile to trust Jesus as his personal Savior and Lord. Then from God's remarkable acts by his Holy Spirit and the witness of the apostles at Syrian Antioch, where the church was established there outside of Jerusalem. Then those missionaries went to Cyprus and across Cyprus, they preached the gospel and Sergius Paulus, the consul there, probably sent them on up to Galatia, his home area. And they had another amazing experience in Iconium and Lystra and Derby as they preached across that area and backtracked through that area. And now the apostles have come back to Paul and Barnabas, the apostles, the missionaries that were sent out by the church in Antioch, have come back to the church in Syrian Antioch, and they have given that report as we studied last week. And here we have a dispute arising that we see in verse 1. It says, some men came from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Hmm. So Paul and Barnabas were preaching, teaching to primarily a Gentile audience, a Gentile audience full of Gentile customs. But there were some who were Jewish believers in Jesus, who were Jews first by birth, by culture, by religion, that practiced the Jewish law because that's what they knew before there was Jesus. The gospel went out and part of the Jewish law and a sign of it was the circumcision of the flesh of men of the Jewish faith and nation, even today. And so these men came from Jerusalem to Syria To say to the Gentile believers in Syria, you cannot be saved unless you not only have Jesus that you've been taught about by grace through faith, but you've also got to follow these laws and rules that we learned as Jewish people growing up. There's a dispute here beginning to happen. Notice it says that in verse 2. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. There's some strong words for this in the Greek, but the NIV gets that right, sharp dispute. This was a strong disagreement. And so what happens then that the church at Antioch, rather than saying we can decide this on our own, says we're going to send Paul and Barnabas with some other brothers and these guys that have come and stirred up this debate that it's not only Jesus, but it's Jesus plus circumcision in order for the Gentile people to really be saved. We're going to send them all back to Jerusalem, to the mother church, to the apostles, to the elders, and let there be a decision. And that's where your Bible probably has the heading my Bible does for chapter 15, the council at Jerusalem, this Jerusalem council to settle this debate. So the church sent them on their way and they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria and they reported the good news of Gentile converts and everybody rejoiced 
and then they come before the elders. So your first point on your outline is the debate. Is salvation by grace or the law? Is salvation by grace or the law? That's really what the debate was here. Are we saved by faith alone, by grace alone, like Paul would later write in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9? Or do you need to add certain things you do, actions you do, physical manifestations that you have, such as bodily circumcision, in order to be saved? Do you have to keep the law like the Jewish people had tried all those times? Or is there something else that saves you? Notice in verse 5 there. And some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. That was their bottom line. We're Jewish people and we believe in Jesus, but we've got all these laws we've obeyed all our life and this is the way it is. And if these Gentile people are going to be part of our religion, which is now Judaism plus Jesus, then they've got to observe all the Jewish laws as well. And that's the debate. Is salvation just by grace or is it by the law as well? And what does verse 6 says? The apostles and elders met to consider this question. We don't know how long they met. We don't know who all was in the room, but we know it was the apostles and elders. Was this a few hours? Was this a few days? Was this a few weeks? But they met to consider this question. So our question when we turn back is, do I live like people are saved by their works? Hmm. Most of us that I know of in this room today are Gentiles. We are not Jewish people. And most of us then would believe, based on being in a church like this and our understanding of the Bible, that salvation is by grace through faith. But we might have a tendency to live as though we, ourselves, family members we know, or others around us have got to have works as well. We need to consider that in our own spirit. Remember what Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, and the Awana boys and girls memorized this just week before last. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, not by works, so that no one could boast. It's a gift of God. I got that phrase out of order again, forgive me. It's by grace, through faith, not by yourself, not by works. It's God's gift. So there's our debate laid out for us, and what's going to be the evidence? The evidence we're going to see in our next verses. So let's go ahead. The evidence, there are six proofs of salvation is by grace. Six proofs that salvation is by grace. And we see this in these following verses, and they move quite along quickly, and I'll move through them quickly as well. So after much discussion, and forgive me, earlier I said Paul, but it was Peter that said what we repeat in verse 11. The first thing he says basically is that God planned it that way. God planned it that way. 
That's the first one in verse 7, and we're just going to have to go through quickly. After much discussion, Peter got up and says, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among the Gentiles to hear the gospel. God planned it that way. The second one is that God gives the Holy Spirit. God gives the Holy Spirit in verse 8, he said, and God gave them the Holy Spirit as well. So the second one there is that God gives the Holy Spirit, as you see in verse 8. He gave them to us just like he did to them. You and I are believers in Jesus, and if you're a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You know you have the Holy Spirit within you because he convicts you of sin, because he illuminates your understanding, he guides you in things. If you're not yet a believer in Jesus, one way you may know that you're not yet a believer in Jesus is you don't see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. One way you may judge, we're not supposed to judge other people as far as being judgmental, but we can judge right and wrong, and we can judge to look into someone's life and say, do I see any evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life? Is there any evidence that they're saved? Do I see any fruit of the Spirit? Do I see any evidence of the Spirit's working in their life? That as a believer in Jesus, you should have the Holy Spirit. So God planned it that way as far as he gave them, Gentiles, you and I, the Holy uh, saved us, but also he gives us the Holy Spirit. The third point there is that God saves by faith. God saves by faith. It's not by anything we do. It's not by keeping the law. Verse 9, he said there's no distinction between us and them. He purified our hearts by faith. It's not by works. That we are saved. I read already Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 that Paul wrote later in his career. But Peter here says it's by faith. Our fourth point there comes from verse 10. And that God knows that we can't obey. Hmm. This one's not as easy to swallow, but come on, if you're honest, you know it's true, right? If I asked you to raise your hand and said, have you ever committed a sin... Yeah, Uh, if you're paying attention to me and listening right now and you're being honest, you'd have to raise your hand. All have sinned and all means all. We've all sinned. God knows we can't obey. It is in our nature to sin. It is our flesh, our sin nature. He says, you know, we couldn't obey it. Why do you think they could obey it? The law that God put out, the law was not to save, but the law was to teach us them that they we need a savior your fifth point then is that god saves by grace god saves by grace we all are saved the same way them and us jews and gentiles just the same way by god's grace in ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 through 5 And I've quoted these many times. I love this passage. It says that as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live when you lived, when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them. At one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and all means all. We were all sinners. And following his desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But I love Ephesians 2, 4. What does it say? But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive even when we are dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you are saved. God saves us by His grace. That final proof is in verse 12, and that's miracles. That God performed miracles. Peter, using this evidence before the apostles and elders of Jerusalem council, it said the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about miraculous signs and wonders. So Peter has presented an argument, and now Barnabas and Paul are presenting their testimony, and we just have it reported in verse 12, but that God performed miracles to demonstrate His grace, to demonstrate that the Gentiles too had been saved. The debate was salvation by grace or by law. The evidence was these six different proofs. Now let's look at our question to this second point. How have I experienced God's grace? If you, like me, were lost by nature, an object of wrath, but if you, like me, have been saved by grace, have been changed, how do you see that evidence in your life? What Is it about you, the way you think, the way you feel, the way you live, the things you've experienced that demonstrates God's grace in your life, God's grace coming through your life, God's grace to others? You've trusted Jesus for your eternal life. Do you see him in your daily life? He's given you eternal hope and joy, but has he given you abundant life? How does the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you and teach you and convict you? By grace in your life. So we've had this debate. We've had these proofs. Now we've got to come to the resolution. That's your third major point on the outline today. The resolution is that since salvation is by grace, we've got to live graciously. Since salvation is by grace, we've got to live graciously. It reminds us of our scripture memory verse of the month that we should forgive as we've been forgiven. We should give grace as we've been given grace. We should exercise mercy as we've received mercy. That all the ways that God has loved and manifest himself to us, we as followers of Jesus should live that out to others rather than being ungrateful rather than being sinful and arrogant and proud. What we get into in these following verses is specifics for the Gentiles not to offend Jewish sensibilities. These are not a command. These are not laws to follow. These are a request that because Gentile brothers and sisters, you've been saved, because Gentile brothers and sisters, you've received grace, that you would extend that grace back to the Jewish believers. And James gives examples of this. So verse 13, and this one we can go back to our text on the screen. So after Peter has summarized things and given his five proofs, and then Paul and Barnabas add to it another proof, James, who is known uh, in the Bible, but also in extra-biblical literature, literature outside the Bible as the leader, the pastor, if you will, of the church of Jerusalem stands up and he says, brothers, listen to me, Simon, that's Peter, has described for us how God at first shown his concern for the Gentiles for himself. And then 
you notice what he does there that's quoted in verse 16, 17, and 18. James is going to quote from Amos. If you look at the footnote in your Bible there, it says that's from Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. Now, he's not proof texting when he does this, and keep in mind, we have a summary of their debate and a summary of what he said. This may not be all he says, but why is it that James is quoting Amos? Because this council, if it was going to have any validity as a council of the church, needed to stand on the authority of God's Word. Just like even today, the reason that we preach the Bible is the center point of our worship at Southview Baptist Church is we want everything we do to stand on the authority of God's Word. The reason we encourage you to read your Bible daily or to listen to it and memorize it, meditate on it, is so that your life will be built on the authority of God's Word. And so he quotes from God's Word here, and notice what he picks. James must have known of the Bible And James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord. What Amos prophesied, James is bringing out, and he's saying there will be a Davidic Messiah. That Jesus, we knew, is from that line of David. It's reported to us in the beginning of the Gospels. There will be a Davidic Messiah. And then notice what he says in verse 17. And all the Gentiles who bear the name, says the Lord who does these things, that has been known for ages. And Gentiles are going to believe in the Jewish Messiah. Amos prophesied it hundreds of years before. And it's coming to fruition right now is what James says. So verse 19, he says, it's my judgment, therefore we shouldn't make it too difficult for the Gentiles. Since we know Scripture prophesied Gentiles will come to faith in Jesus, instead we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. These are four things that in particular were offensive to Jewish people as you see, not so much based on their religion, but based on their culture. A long time ago, you may remember that we had a Sudanese mission church that met here. And Pastor Solomon, he was a dear, sweet believer in Jesus and what he'd gone through in Sudan and in Syria as a refugee before he came to the United States had purified his character and he was just so full of grace and joy. And so one time we had Pastor Solomon and his wife Rose and their children over to our house to share fellowship with them. And I said, And I don't even know why I thought about this, but I'm glad I did. I said, Pastor Solomon, do you guys have any dietary restrictions or things you don't like? He said, no pork, no pork. I said, you're not Muslim, you're a believer in Jesus. He says, but we grew up among Muslims and the smell of pork is disgusting to our noses and it makes us want to vomit. I went, okay, no pork. (laughs) He knew by law he could eat pork. But by his habit, by his custom, by the way he was brought up, pork was disgusting to him. And so, of course, we had something else. I think we had beef or something like that. But the same thing here. Because they were saved, because they'd received grace, they needed to live graciously. Let's get to our final question there. That question is, Where do I need to be more considerate 
James said to them, you've received salvation by grace and you should live graciously. Make accommodations for us as Jewish believers because these things are, we don't like. But what about in your life? Where are you most challenged? Where do folks get on your nerves? Where do they get under your skin? Where do they push your buttons? That maybe you need to say, "Ah, I've received a lot of grace, therefore I should give a lot of grace. I've received a lot of mercy, therefore I should give a lot of mercy. I've been forgiven of everything, therefore I need to forgive everything. I need to stop making my excuses. Bob Goff, I love this quote. He says, grace means we don't need to memorize our alibis anymore. We live by grace. Grace means we live in the spirit. We trust God. We extend grace to others. We show mercies as recipient of mercies. We extend forgiveness as we've been forgiven. We give grace as we give grace freely, joyfully, lovingly. It's grace. Good old Saint J.C. Ryle says this, grace shakes a man out of his selfishness and makes him feel for the souls of others. Let's pray together. God, our Father, when we consider all that you've done for us, that is by grace we have been saved through faith, that we would be shaken out of our selfishness That the little things that we think are important, we would not hold so important as to overshadow the gospel in grace and love. So God, we pray that you would change our hearts in response to this message. That because we've received your word and we've received your grace, we would live that way. And Father, we pray for anyone here today, whether it's a child or a teenager, or an adult who's never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, that they would make that decision today too. They know that they've sinned and they believe that Jesus is God's Son and they will confess Him as their personal Savior and Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.